Galaxy, it's time for Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in and all the characters, concepts, things, and stuff from the galaxy far, far away. We are going deep into the archives and remaining in the Old Republic, and I am your guide here, Mac, and I'm joined by my Pad One learner of the Old Republic, Ross. Mac, it is great to be here today. We have a topic that we have been waiting to discuss forever. Knights of the Old Republic. I think it has been since our original like idea doc of yeah. like here's topics we could do. Like Knights of the Republic, yeah. Kotor, the 2004 video game has been sitting on there because mm-hmm. people love it. People do love it. People love the game, people love Revan, and frankly, it's amazing that so many people love a game that was out on only one system, the first generation of that system. Right. It, it's mind-blowing that this game has the legs that it does. Yeah, because other than eventually a PC port, and now you can get it on modern computing devices, yeah. like, it, it's not been the most accessible thing. Yeah, I, I'm very, very impressed with the way this is stuck in some people's fandoms, mm-hmm. and to me, that's what makes it such an interesting thing to talk about. And to be honest, that's all we're going to talk about, because you are going to let me just talk a lot about it. I can't it. wait. I can't wait. You know, last week we had our Tales of the Jedi episode where we started to talk about this time period a little bit more, mm-hmm. and now we're diving into um, what I think is, if you have a touchstone with this time period, well, there's like a 90% chance this is it. Yeah, it's the crown jewel of yeah. this era. It's the thing that most people's foundational understanding of it, it yeah. comes from, and even all that's like me that were into it before this game, it's still very special because it's the place where everything I love about this era, I can talk to people about because they're familiar. Yeah, you were there. You lived it, Mac. You played it. That's true. I knew when they, yeah, when people were going like, what do you think the Jedi are going to be like in, in the Old Republic era? I'm like, I know. I already know. I know what they're like. Um, ask me. Pick me. I can tell you. <laughs> um, so it's going to be an exciting ride. Yeah. Uh, spoilers ahead. I mean, it's it's a very old game, but we are going to go through ex- a very exhaustive. I'm hoping I, yeah. I have a lot of notes. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be. I think it'll be pretty pretty in depth. So I think we will definitely spoil the game. So if you want to oh, go yeah. grab it on a modern computing device, play it. Go go do that, and then come back, and yeah. we will see you soon as we get started right after this. again here we are again thousands of years before the battle of yavin thousands of years before the battle of yavin. four thousand years to be in the ballpark it's actually three thousand like nine hundred and seventy eight like yeah it's yeah. it's it let's put it this way it's been long enough that the the, the stuff we talked about last week, or the stuff we opened up about Tales of the Jedi, the Dark Horse mm-hmm. comics that created this era, mm-hmm. um, all their adventures are so far over that we've had a war since then. We've had a whole <laughs> war. Yes, a Jedi civil war, to be specific. The the Jedi are like, well, uh, some of us want to be cool kids over at the Hot Topic and wear our goth clothes, and some of us <laughs> think that's stupid, and so they fight. They, yeah, it, it uh, it's... It doesn't go well. 
And at the absolute apex of the entire war, the leader of the Dark Jedi, Revan, mysteriously disappears. Defeated on a ship called the Leviathan, his second lieutenant, Malik, takes the remaining forces and just kind of disappears into the background of the universe and things start going back to normal. Yeah, Revan is this basically, um, how should we put it, this ultimately powerful Jedi, this Jedi who is basically doing and performing things that other Jedi are not able to, um, but not on like a prophecy level like Anakin was. You know, it's not the same situation or anything like that, but you basically have this Jedi who is leading this fight against the Mandalorians. Yes. And his goal is basically to eliminate them because he's he feels that they've been a threat to the galaxy, they're a threat to the Jedi, and they need to be eliminated by any means necessary. And basically, yep. he goes to these extra lengths to make sure that these Mandalorians are wiped out against the wishes of the Jedi Council and what they want and what they feel is the right move for the Jedi to make. So he basically gets Mira Sutrik and all of these other people who he's worked with, his friends and mm -hmm. his, you know his former Padawan and all these people together. And they go after the Mandalorians. And that's what starts this whole conflict off. Well, yeah, it's basically they want to finish the war once and for all. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the planet Malachor 5, they, they're pretty close to doing that. It's a very cataclysmically awful event that they partake yeah. in. Mandalore and that's has when, some real rough That's when they go real dark. And when they come back from that, they basically are now incompatible with the Jedi. And the Jedi want to bring them to justice and sort of quell them. And that causes the Civil War. Yes. Um, okay. And so, like you said, so uh, that's the backdrop in which the 2004 Knights of the Old Republic game takes place. Now, Knights of the Republic was created by BioWare, which was a fairly famous production company out of Canada at the time. They had made the Baldur's Gate series and a number of other um, similar sort of games. They uh, were sort of known for what is commonly referred to as CRPGs, computer RPGs, aka RPGs that are really complex and hard that only nerds with engineering degrees really enjoy. No, that's not true. <laughs> Actually, in the 80s, that was true. In the 90s, it was ha half true. Um, but it was born out of the same places as like Planescape Torment, the original Fallout games, these sort of like over the head, um, very complex systems heavy, um, lots of interacting systems and numbers, um, just complex games. Um, but Bioware sort of had differentiated themselves by being very story driven. Their characters had a lot more depth than um, most of their contemporaries did. They really cared about trying to tell stories and get as much voice acting and stuff as they could in there and really just flesh out their character. So when it was announced in the early 2000s that they were making a Star Wars game, a lot of people were like, oh, that's great. And when they announced that uh, the premier platform was going to be the Xbox, a bunch of PC people just went, but inferior, PC superior. Um <laughs> And, and they'd never stop saying it for 20 years. Uh, there is a reason that there's a, a, a stereotype of the PC master race. Uh, some PC gamers can be very elitist. Um, but all the same, it was announced and they showed some screenshots. And I remember specifically, it's this screenshot of like Dantooine, one of the, mm -hmm. the, the central places. And Dantooine's just sort of like a pastoral like harvest world is just like wheat wheat grain for as far as the eye can see rolling hills and like you know beautiful like big old oak tree like it's a very calm place and i've ever seen that picture with all this like waving wheat and just going like 
oh my God, can the graphics ever get better than that? <laughs> uh, a, a phrase I've said entirely too many times in my life. Yeah. Um, so I started researching because I had never really... I, I, I was a PC gamer at the time, but those kinds of games just flew sure, right over my sure, head. Sure, sure. Um, so I looked into it and I was very excited because they said, oh, well, it's based on the Star Wars uh, tabletop game. I'm like... I own all versions of the Star Wars tabletop game, <laughs> and I own the one they're talking about that just came out with, like, Attack of the Clones. Awesome. <laughs> I'm totally cool. all in. Yeah. Uh, and then all it in. came out on Xbox. I I was an early adopter of the Xbox um, just because I, I, I was a Nintendo sure. kid, so PlayStation was always, like, the great Satan in my mind, uh, sure. which is funny because I've owned every single PlayStation. It's just, like, late. That's um, funny. So... So okay. I didn't have an Xbox, just to throw that in there. Uh, my only memory of, you know, the launch of the game was uh, my friend Matt, who I had been friends with since we were wee little kids. Mm -hmm. um, I the That generation of consoles had kind of just gotten up and running, you know, a few years prior. Yeah. Uh, and I had a PlayStation 2, uh, and yep. he had an Xbox. And so I never had a chance, but I remember very specifically, for whatever reason, being at Walmart looking at MP3 players, and they had like an ad for the game about to come out, like in the case, <laughs> you know, they had like, like pre-order this game, you know, like how they used to have physical, like empty pre-order boxes. Yeah. Um, And that is basically the first time I heard of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this Star Wars game's coming out. I'm going to have to get this. And then I found out it's only on Xbox, and I couldn't get it. Right. And how devastating that was, and how upset I was that Star Wars would make something that wasn't available to everyone. Yeah, GameCube wants a no, word. No, no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's really funny because again, I, I was hoping you'd be like, my friend had an Xbox, so I get to play all the Xbox games with him, and he played all the PlayStation. Like, because I was always looking for that friend in that era. So um, we lived too far away. Was the problem? Uh, okay. It was like I got to see him when I was at my grandma's. And my PlayStation was at my parents type of thing. I, I think we discussed this before, but like I had a similarly opposite experience because I desperately only wanted to play Metal Gear 2. And so I was mm. always trying to find someone like, can I borrow your PS2 for a weekend? I don't even know you. That's fine. Can I borrow your PS2 for a weekend? <laughs> um, and I, I need to know I, about Raiden. I remember like I didn't play it until way later, but my experience with you and that of also going like, Lucas has betrayed me is <laughs> like, Oh man, Racer is one of my favorite games. Racer Revenge, awesome! A sequel to Racer. I'm sure that's coming out for the Xbox or GameCube. I own two out of three. It's got to be coming to one of them, right? No. Why? <laughs> so we were both just completely bamboozled. I, I I'm just saying that Star was playing games back then. Okay. Well, I mean, even the year before, even the generation before that, Racer was only on N64, right? That's because PlayStation couldn't handle the. Power. I don't know. Of Shadows of the Empire. Oh my god. Project Reality made yeah. these things. Anyway, the, the point <laughs> of matters. Um this was a game that I will say did take advantage of some of the unique uh technical aspects of the Xbox. It's one of the reasons it's never really been sort of liberated from that platform during the time. Like it came to PCs eventually. Mm -hmm. But even some of the things like um bump textures and certain uh what is it, subliminal shaders or I, I can't remember all the marketing buzzwords from the original Xbox, but it took advantage of that and also took advantage of what in hindsight is probably the actual most important extra bonus feature uh, of the Xbox. The Xbox had a hard drive. Um so eight gigabytes of storage to store all kinds of game data, which was important because 
Knights of the Republic was one of the first games I recall that had DLC. Um, like there was mm. an entire like expansion area and you could also get lightsaber crystals that were not in the base game. I think it was like orange and uh, teal or something like that. Interesting. I don't have any knowledge of that. Oh, it's okay. I don't actually functionally. I don't even know if the DLC functions on a modern system. Like you can still play Knights of the Republic on like an Xbox if you got the disc. And then the company Aspire has made it available on a lot of different platforms now so that you can experience it. Um, but let's just talk about the gameplay before we do the rest of the show and what's yes. the story is about. Um, this is in the vein of a CRPG in the sense of there's lots of systems, but those systems were probably relatively familiar to a number of the target demographic at the time. Cause it was based on wizard of the coast, popular D and D brand. Uh, this would have been the third or 3.5 edition of the rules, if you were being a nerd. Okay. And they had a Star Wars game that was basically a flavor of that. There were some differences to make it more Star Wars and make more sense in that that vein, but like these systems were fairly familiar to anyone in tabletop role-playing at the time. Uh, now, D&D was nowhere near as popular as it is today, but it was, you know, it was popular amongst the nerds who have an Xbox and want to play the Star Wars role-playing game. So <laughs> um, what would happen is you have a character, you define them with a number of different traits, and as the game goes on, you are adding skills to them that allow them to boost their different abilities in the game, as well as the most important thing was these talents, and talents are the different kind of skill trees is what we would call them now, where you're getting interesting special moves or perks mm -hmm. so um you know one thing is maybe you decide you're going to go dual wielding well like the first level of that means that you get less of a penalty for your offhand the second ability means that a actually now you get uh, a balance there's no penalty using two weapons and the third one is actually you get a bonus while wielding two weapons so that kind of like progression mm -hmm. is what a lot of it is and every level or so you get a couple talent points to go and spend in the talents now, Mac, you've obviously played uh, a fair amount of video games like this since then, right? Games yeah. that have skill skill trees and games that have upgrades and games that have modifiers and all that kind of stuff, right? As Any the pundits kind of... say, everything's an RPG now. Everything's an RPG now, right. And my RPG experience is relatively limited. I mean, mm -hmm. with the exception of Pokemon, sure, there hasn't been much that I've played that fits into kind of this... Knights of the Old Republic, you know, turn-based category type of games. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, it was, you know, when I eventually did get to poke around on Knights of the Old Republic for the first time, you know, maybe a year or two later, I, I did get to borrow a friend's Xbox when I was in high school and play it. Uh, that was the thing that surprised me the most was how not fluid it was. It was not what I expected in that vein. Well, it's a weird hybrid. I think it gets worse every year to go back to it because it's based on a concept that they had pioneered in Baldur's Gate, which is the idea of this sort of real-time clock. Generally, old RPGs broke down into you were turn-based right, or you were real-time or an action RPG. So mm -hmm. you at the time, the kings would have been, you had your Diablo Okay. Which is I click on something and the sword swings. Every right. time I click the, click, the sword swings every time I click. Whereas you have like Final Fantasy and Pokemon, which is press fight. Okay, see if that Pokemon or my Pokemon is faster. That one attacks first. When they attack, roll a dice to see if they hit. Yes. Did they hit? Deal damage based on how much I hit. 
right? Yes, um, exactly. And that's turn-based, and turn-based is is fostered in Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing right. games because when you have a whole group of people, you can't have real-time combat unless you're just beating each other with foam swords. <laughs> um, and so Knights of the Republic <laughs> is strange because it is actually turn-based. Okay. You are there are a whole bunch of hidden dice rolls happening to decide how fast your character is moving and if they hit and when they hit how much damage they do because in D&D what you would do is you would roll a D D20 so a 20-sided die to decide okay were you fast enough to get started hitting this person okay when you hit them you're going to roll against their defense is your roll higher than their defense you hit them okay now roll whatever polyhedron so you know a four-sided <laughs> six-sided eight-sided 12-sided whatever it is um roll that and see how hard you hit and that's the damage and so all of that is happening like yeah. it was funny because at the time i followed it better than i did any computer role-playing game because i had been playing that star wars role-playing game so i knew what all the hidden dice rolls were if you will gotcha 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 and would you say that helped you perform helped you play better in the game yes because i intuitively already knew these systems so i knew Mm -hmm. what this stuff should do and there's some stuff that's not representative of the actual tabletop game but in general i kind of knew it was happening and then what you could do is you could queue up those moves you could go three layers deep so you could go like fight fight and then heal and then it would just fire those off all three of them in a queue and you can at any time pause the game to kind of assess the situation and decide what we want to do because it's turn-based. So when you hear that term, like you mentioned, like real time, like a real-time clock. Yes. Right? So what does that mean if you can pause the game? The difference is in a turn well, in a turn-based game, you can stop whenever you want. Okay. The game doesn't move unless you do. Right. You know, so I can sit back and I can wait an hour and decide, do I want to hit fight or do I want to hit run? Like you have all that time to think because the game is relying on you because, you know, it's like chess. Your opponent can't go until you make a move. When you make a move, your opponent can make a move and you can't make a move till your opponent moves. Makes perfect sense. Right. Whereas real time, the difference would be like, and this is where I think a lot of people didn't either partially didn't get but also just didn't want what knights of the republic was selling which is when you press the button they don't swing the sword they start a process of rolling dice to see if they hit the sword right yes and so people are like i'm bashing the button but it's still just going like he's just only fighting like three hits in a, a minute like what the heck it's like well yeah beca- because you're just queuing up the fight button you're you're not actually pressing the fight button and most people especially nowadays, I think are more, especially in a Western audience, attuned to like the Legend of Zelda. I press a button, swing the sword. Sure, I'm leveling up. I'm gaining experience points. Uh, My damage is a a numeric value. It's not just, you know, it takes three hits to kill this thing. It's, it you know, I hit for 15 and then I hit for 20, you know, whatever. Like people are used to that and like that, but most Western audiences want want it to be skill-based in the sense of it is happening in real time. I am not... You know, if I just sit there, I'll be dead because the opponent will keep attacking me. I keep attacking me if I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Um, you can kind of see, um, you know, the, I think I think you're right in the sense for most people. It's Pokemon versus. As he struggles to think of a popular JRPG series that anyone would know, 
no, no, we're just going to use Pokemon. That's, yeah, that's, that's the that's, only one. That po- makes sense. Pokemon and every other game you're playing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the way it is. Yeah. Um, so this yeah. game, especially by today's standards, for a lot of people would feel really, really slow. Sure. Um, just because, again, it is methodical and it is about it's about strategy and using the characters in your party to different effect and mixing and matching their okay. abilities. And some people really, really love that. And mostly time has passed it by. Um, you can see this in the evolution of series that have done similar things, such as Mass Effect or Dragon Age, all started out much more strategic and ended up being just swing the sword or shoot the guns mm. by the time they got to their most recent, you know, incarnations. Interesting. I have not so, played either. Um, well, well, that's a try to play the first Mass They're also Effect. very, very good examples because they're also Bioware, which is this company we're talking yeah. about. Um, so the whole thing about Knights of Republic, though, is it is a strategic game and you are moving through and doing all these dice rolls and all this kind of stuff. And that's why your stats and abilities are so important because they're what actually curves and bends what your character can and can't do. Mm -hmm. Okay. That all makes sense. I think I got all, I, I understand the concept now. And then the last thing I'll mention is generally when you go into, to like the different areas of the game, you Mm -hmm. are bringing along uh, up to two other characters. Yes. These are, your party members, people you meet along the way, people that you run into. And the game does a really great job of sort of organically introducing you to these characters mm-hmm. who you'll end up having as companions, but maybe not right this moment. You know, you you meet right. people, you perform tasks, you perform jobs. And as this sort of giant open world game progresses, you meet more and more people. So the people who you meet at first, you know, may not be able to help you accomplish every task, but as you make more friends, you can go back and accomplish things you couldn't before. Right. And each one of them has different skill sets than yours. Um, most likely at least one character will overlap with you as far as like, they'll have the same class Mm -hmm. as you, uh, which is nice because you can either double up or you can just round out your party with people that complement your skill set. Um, and so, that's kind of the game is running around with your companions. Your companions are the people you experience the story with. They will comment on what you're seeing and what you're doing, um, especially because this game uh, is earlier Bioware. So your character doesn't really talk. They have like a voice for what they call in video games barks. So when you get hit or when you you know say charge or whatever, like combat noises, yeah. you do quote unquote have a voice. But most of the time you're just picking dialogue from a um a list and when you click on that you don't talk it's presumed you said that line yes um later games would say that people want to hear people talk and conversations are weird when you're only hearing like the telephone version of half of it it's a it's weird to play it in modern context because i don't want to give too much away but i have played some of this now in modern context and it is a bit odd i think the experience i had playing it on mobile makes it actually a little bit more pleasant not having to have sound. Uh, Uh, But if I was sitting down in front of a console, I absolutely would want sound. Well, for me, like this blew my mind because one of the things I, I, I I really, really, really appreciate about what I'll call next generation, uh, you know, video games. And by that, I mean everything in the last like 25 years, because we did this in the early nineties and then we still somehow consistently not do this, which is voice acting. Like, when you boot up this game, everybody talks. 
And there's one trick that Bioware used to get around a lot of talking, which is like, oh, it's a Twi'lek, so he speaks in uh, Hades. Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> Why not? Like, 50% of the alien characters just don't talk English. And I'm like, clever, clever. And you're just reading the subtitles. Um, because one of the things about uh, your character is you understand a ridiculous amount of alien languages, which is helpful so that you can hear, so you can see the subtitles of these characters. <laughs> but you know what? I do love having some ang- alien languages. As we've talked about this before, too many things in Star Wars are basic now. We've we've almost swung the door the other way. Yeah. Like, Knights of the Republic is like, I, I would think basics more common in the universe than this, but I mean, it's 4,000 years ago. What do I Who know? Knows? Right. Yeah. Like, um, but again, I still think it was very impactful that you had some of some luminaries, honestly, of like voice acting yeah. at the time. And all of which, I don't think there's a single like major character in that game who has not had a ridiculously successful career since then. Hmm. So, but again, as we talked last week, I grew up on these audiobooks and stuff. So, like, audio soundscape of Star Wars is yeah. hugely important to me. Yeah. And so I love the fact of how much VO in there, which really sets you into the story. Because from the word go, the story is Star Wars as heck. You wake up, <laughs> yeah. you're on a ship that when you look out the viewport, it's literally spiraling, just 360 out the viewport. And this guy's going like, hey, wake up, we gotta go. Who who are you? Who am I? <laughs> I'm your roommate, you idiot. We've been bunkmates for a while now. We need to get off the Endar Spire. And an Endar Spire is what? <laughs> that's the ship we're on. It's the one that's under command of Bastila. Jeez, it's like you have amnesia. I think I may, in fact, have amnesia. <laughs> um, and so that's how you start. Yeah. Like, is but this they... g- guy sort of barking the world at you, just telling you your situation? <laughs> yeah. It's very efficient exposition. Yeah. It introduces you to the mechanics of, you know, conversation, which is a huge part of the game. But what's really fun about it is just the idea that, like, okay, I've just got to go with it because my ship is under attack. I don't have time to figure out who I am or what I'm doing here. Well, I was going to look through my personal effects and see if I can find ID or anything, but I better just suit up and go fight these these, uh, <laughs> these Sith, Sith guys. Yeah, these Sith. And boy, let's talk about the Sith design oh. because they look like a mix of Guavian Death Squad mixed with Beetleborgs mixed with... I feel like I'm missing so, one element. Yeah, so the central thing that's cool about the Sith in this game. So, okay, so real quick, the Endar Spire, the yes. ship you're on, is being attacked by the Sith because yes. Darth Malak, for whatever reason, has shown up to attack your ship and capture the the kind of Jedi commander you have on board, Bastila Shan. And the reason he's after her is because he believes that he she is the only one capable of defeating him because she has these different powers that other Jedi don't have, but also because she defeated Revan. Right. His master. And that cannot stand. That cannot stand. So they're having this battle above this um, kind of, uh, on hard times, a mechapopolis of Tarsus, citywide planet of Tarsus. Um, And you are basically just like, we need to get off of here and get down to the planet because the ship is not going to last very long. Let's go. (laughs) And so you go out, you fight some people, and your roommate gets murdered. 
Yeah, it doesn't go well for him. No, it doesn't go mm. well for him. He's so plucky and excited. It doesn't go well for a lot of the people on the Ender Spire, actually. That's true. The Ender Spire is not a healthy place. But you're starting <laughs> to fight like the Sith, and most of the Sith show up as one of three forms. They are either the Sith Trooper, which wears a armor that is obviously invoking the Stormtrooper because they're these heavily armored, you know, foot soldiers. But they have a very different cut to, like, the way their armor is. It's more, like, segmented. Yeah. Um, the and, head is almost like Imperial Royal Guards. Yeah, because you just have... smooth, long... Yeah, like, the viewplate's, like, almost, like, at the bottom of their eyes to, like, yeah. their mouth rather than the full of face, which yeah, is kind of weird. They're fun. But the interesting thing that I think makes them very unique is they all have this very dark chrome mm-hmm. to their stuff, almost more like phasma than mm. your normal stormtroopers, um, which of course makes the graphics for 2004 pop really well. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, look at all those reflections. I mean, they're not real reflections <laughs> at all, but they looked shiny uh, and shiny was cool. Yes. The other thing is the Sith uh, augment most of their, their troops with droids. They have tons and tons of, battle droids they mm-hmm. take into combat with them to round them out uh and then there are the the dark disciples of malak there are you know dark sith that you yeah. will have to eventually do lightsaber combat but it's important to understand you are not a jedi you no. are starting out as either a soldier a um scoundrel or a um oh what's the last class it's like mechanic scout or tech okay yeah scout um, and so you are running around with a blaster or you grab these, um, you know, vibro blades, vibro swords, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, to run around and fight. And your whole mission is to go and get Basla. Well, by the time you get to the bridge, oh, the whole thing's screwed. And this new guy pops in your ear, Cartho Nassi. And he's like, I'm like the military commander of the Endar Spire. We need to get off here. We need capable soldiers like you. Let's go. And so he gets you to the escape pods, and next thing you know, you wake up, and it's been a couple of days, and Karth's over you, and he's like, we're in an abandoned per- apartment, uh, and we're squatting here on Tarsus till we can find Basla. You need to help me. And you're like, this is the second time I have woken up with, how did I get here? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a trope that uh, will continue in Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars loves, I mean, let's be storytelling loves amnesia because amnesia is like, Hey, I need you to get a Lord dump. I just need to explain where mm-hmm. you are. And, um, if you don't know, like the player doesn't yeah. know, that's going to be real easy for me to sell this to you. But you know what? It's not, which is fun. It's not an unreliable narrator plot either. Like they're no. not using those mechanics of like, Oh, you think <laughs> it's one thing, but it's actually this other. Now I'm just thinking about the fact of like, <laughs> Here I am on the end of Spire. You might want to know how I got here. Funny story. <laughs> See, I always go to Memento. That's where mine Memento's always is. Memento's a good one. I'm just like, yeah, I get it. I get the gimmick. I'm not into it. And I'm glad that's not what we're dealing with here. Right. Because Karth basically gives you the situation of like, okay, so after the end of Spire was totally destroyed, it's like you, me, and Bastila survived. That's it. Like everybody else died. <laughs> and we're trapped on this Sith planet, this planet that has been blockaded by the yeah, Sith. Because as soon as the Sith wiped us out, they landed troops and have occupied the planet because they really, really want to find Bastila. And we need to find her first. And so that's your first sort of mission. Yes. Karth becomes your first companion. He's a soldier who's, you know, great with a blaster rifle. Two of them, I think, usually. And his whole thing is he is 
a Republic soldier through and through. He's the company man. He's like, we yeah. got to do it because that's my orders. That's yeah. my job. And he's very straight laced. Um, and the whole point is you start going through the different sectors of Tarsus, this city. Mm-hmm. And because you crash landed on the surface, which is the highest levels, you've just kind of snuck your way into an apartment and kind of like the upper middle class um, of the city. And as you play through, you go deeper and deeper into the city. And so you yeah. eventually go to where like the heart cartels are running like legal uh, speeder bike or swoop, swoop bike races. races. Yeah. Uh, and then you eventually get down below where the planet has a disease called Rakgul, where basically people that are down where the sun doesn't shine, like they're, they're getting this very invasive disease that basically mm-hmm. turns them into animals. And this is around the same time as you pick up your next companion mission. Yeah. Now, this is about, I, I'd say I played maybe the first six to eight hours on mobile in preparation for this. So, you know, I put a little bit of time in and, and all of my time is spent was spent playing the intro and playing here on Tarsus. Okay. So I did not get off of this planet, but I did make it to this part where you're adventuring through the lower levels and you make it to the bottom and you meet these people, basically this society that mm-hmm. lives underground, very much like the same idea as the lower levels of Coruscant. Yes. No lights down there, but they've got a different situation because they're being attacked and their their um, group members are being abducted by these sort mm-hmm. of uh, quote unquote monsters. Right, because the 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 Rackles are 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 a great little allegory for just sort of the the same stuff you hear about in like the later Star Wars movies, like decay. Like Tarsus is on bad times. Mm-hmm. It used to be a prominent jewel in the galaxy, and it, it seems like hyperspace lanes are sort of routed around it, and it's just it's decaying from the inside out. And one of the examples of this is this terrible disease that is a stand-in for zombies because, well, it's the 2000s, so of course it has zombies. Um, <laughs> this was the earlier part of the trend, but... I would say, yeah, this is even before... I like that I say trend as if, like, the zombie thing's ever going to go away. Like, in the early 2000s, it was like, when is this going to go away? When is this going to go... Now it's been, like, 20 years of this. Zombies are just the stock villain for all video games from here till the end of eternity. Um, it's just what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what Rackles are again. It's the, it's the, it's the lament of the loss of a person of, oh, that person looks like my husband, but of course they're not anymore. They're a terrible monster beast and uh, just all that kind of stuff. And and like you said, so you kind of find out that, that Bastila has been captured by criminals and the criminals are like fighting amongst themselves of like, who's going to turn them into the Sith and get reward. Right. And luckily this is just developing. So like the Sith haven't moved in or know really of this going on <laughs> yet. And you're like, well, what we need to do is we need to get in with the criminals and find a way to kind of like free Bastila from them. And you get tossed in with mission via who is a toilet girl. Who's um, like just coming of age. If she was human, she'd be like, 17 18 but because twilix mature faster she's like 14 (laughs) and she uh you know she's this plucky spunky uh scoundrel who's good at slicing you know star wars hacking and uh (laughs) you know all that stuff and you're like yeah but how how did you survive down here quirky girl it's like well because of big z who's zalabar her best friend who's also an eight foot tall wookie (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you kind of get both these characters, you you get them, and 
what you find out is, okay, so the criminals have Bastila and we need to win a swoop bike race because that's the only way to like get the opportunity to have Bastila out in the clear so we can cut her restraints and get her out of there. So you do. And great job. Now you've got a party of four people. You've got Zalar, you've got Mission, you've got Karth, and now you've got your first Jedi character. You've got Bastila, who is important in my mind for a couple of reasons. One, it was the first time that I recognized the Knights of the Republic I knew because everything up to this point was much shinier, much more prequels era, much, again, as I've often said, 2,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. Not the 4,000 I was hanging out where they're like, we think chainmails are still a pretty cool idea. Um... <laughs> But Bastila has battle meditation, and that's one of the reasons she's so feared. Uh, that's how they won the military battle against Revan's fleet, is because battle meditation is essentially the Jedi goes and forms their thoughts and holds a picture of the battle in their mind and essentially promotes morale, gives a fighting spirit to everyone within a very large space, um, which causes them to fight on harder than their enemy and often their enemy the weaker minds are starting to get despair their morale gets eroded by this effect um so huge military advantage and only happens like in a handful of jedi every generation yeah so it's extremely rare because this is something that you know it's something that as far as i remember uh Bastila is sort of the first time we had ever heard about this power. I don't remember this ever being something that was talked about before in Star Wars. Do you? It's an important thing in Tales of the Jedi. There are two characters uh, that can do it. Okay, that's why okay. I said it. Like it made yes. my heart beat. Of like, I know that. Yes. Okay. So that's interesting because for me, this was the first time I had ever heard about this this battle meditation thing. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's something that's very neat. And since then has made its way into other parts of star Wars. You know, mm -hmm. it's been, it's been uh, talked about and implied that one of the emperors and legend had this ability. And that's one of the reasons he was able to uh, survive for centuries. Uh, and now of course in the high Republic, this is the main trademark of one of the main characters Avar yep. Chris. So it's definitely something that was around for a long time in star Wars. Uh, in part thanks to Bastila, right. and now is making its way back into Ooh. Star Wars canon, which is a ton of fun. The thing, I don't want to be sounding any disparaging when I go, oh, not my Knights of the Republic. Like, no, Knights of the Republic, the video game, is infinitely bigger and more potent and more impressions were generated from it about the Old Republic. Like, when people say, I love the Old Republic, they are generally not talking about the adventures of Ula Kaldroma and Nomi Sunrider like I am. <laughs> and that's totally fine. Yeah. My, my snipes are just the fact of, there's a lot there's a lot of uniqueness to that comic that had to have the, the corners sanded off because Bioware is selling a game to folks like you who have never read those comic books, and it has to read as Star Wars. Yeah. So anytime you have like battle meditation where they spend the time to explain to you what it is, that just lights up my heart because, hey, this is something I recognize, just whole cloth coming from the comic book over to uh, this world. And now a whole bunch of people will know a concept that I've had to explain every time. So Bastila's utterly unimpressed with you to begin with. She like <laughs> doesn't want to work with you. She thinks that your rescue is idiotic. And Karth's like the only person in the group that she's like, you're respectable. The rest of you are riffraff. So she's got this real high and mighty kind of 
almost royalty to her because she is a very prominent, very important Jedi, but she's also really young. So she's definitely probably had like chosen one bandied about her mm-hmm. too much that she's got, she's got a bit of an ego on her about who she is, yeah. which is fine. Cause it has a, just a tinge. I think of like princess Leia, mm-hmm. you know, where sure. it's just like, I'm a very capable young woman, but all, also I don't tell me what I can and can't do. I know what I'm doing now. How does this work? <laughs> you know, like there's a certain uh, bend to her character that way, but it's also important. Oh, the, the other trait I want to mention that made me really happy about her is she is the first lightsider we've ever seen in star Wars using a double bladed lightsaber and yellow blades. Yes. Which makes me so happy. I knew you'd want to talk about the yellow blades. Now, is this the start of your love of yellow blades? Is this where it originates? Yeah. Yeah, because I did not own an original 1977 Luke or, or Obi-Wan with a yellow blade, yeah, so sure. that's not where it started. Sure, sure. Um, but it does amuse me that the first lightsabers in toys were yellow, because, mm-hmm. I don't know, we're not going to make them white. That would look weird. <laughs> and they're not blue enough for us to know they're blue. Um, All right, so quick quick bit of detail in case someone doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, you're good. I think that's a great call out. In the original uh, Kenner action figures that came out in 1978, Obi-Wan and Luke had yellow lightsabers instead of blue. Yeah, they had a little lever in their arm where it would mm -hmm. extend out of their arm Mm -hmm. so they could, like, you know, have a... Literally, it was... Igniting lightsaber. Yeah, it was... So they had basically, you know, these were very basic figures that uh, their arm could only move up and down, one point of articulation, and they had basically a yellow tube sticking out of it. And then if you looked at the inside of their forearm, there's a little lever that you could press forward, and it would make that more of that yellow tube essentially extend. A skinnier piece would sort of pop out of the end. Telescoping. Right, and, and in the play model, you're supposed to go... Yes, of when course, you do that. yes. Um, and the thing about it was the reason it was yellow was we do not have home video yet. We do not have a lot of production stills for every model maker to work off of. People are mostly remembering Star Wars by, I saw it last summer. I think it went like this. It's something that a modern audience, including us, do not truly understand the yeah. idea of like, oh, I want to watch Star Wars. Awesome. Maybe it'll come back for re-release this summer. I guess I'll just wait. Yeah. Like, um, and part of it also is the original lightsabers the flashing they used to make them at light and yes. reflect light was very washed out in most work prints that people would have seen. So yes. even if it looked blue when it was printed, by the time it's through, it's like fifth or sixth run at a movie theater. The colors have muted like film stock in the seventies didn't hold up the way yes. it did now. And most of us as audiences are used to the current versions, which have been recolor corrected yes. to really make it unambiguous that yes, Luke Anakin lightsaber and Obi-Wan's personal lightsaber are blue. Yes. Yes. If you've never seen cuts of the original film or anything like that, they're basically, they look white with like a blue tinge around the outside, right. like a blue um, afterglow almost effect. Yeah, and you can even see in video games like this one and in uh, Fallen Order, they have the cyan crystals, which is a much lighter blue, <laughs> yeah. which mostly just mimics how they looked back then. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Basla has yellow blades and she's got a double-bladed lightsaber, which again, I mean, this is only five years after Darth Maul. So the idea of a lightsider running around with one of these is very interesting. How cool. Um, and you realize that the problem, though, is great. We've saved Basla. Now what? Now we've got to get past the Sith blockade. 
It's like, oh, well, how are we going to do that? I have no idea. <laughs> and then you find out about that there's this one criminal warlord who has a the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. This brand new, super shiny light freighter called the Ebon Hawk. Okay, I just want to point out, this is about where my play ended. Okay. Sorry, please continue. Is this mission. Yeah. yeah, so the next mission is to get off planet, and you have to get get into his estate and steal the Ebon Hawk because it seems like the only ship nimble and fast enough to get off planet. Mm-hmm. To get through the blockade. Right. So, uh, yada, yada, yada. You do that. Um, you go to go that. You steal that ship. That becomes your ship for the rest of the game. Um, and you, Rest of your life. Uh, well, that's true, too. So you leave the planet, and as you are grabbing the ship and getting off world, Malak has decided... We can't find Bastila, and I'm sick of looking. Bombard the planet. Bring all the ships, and I don't mean some of them. I mean, go get all the ships we have, bring them to the planet, and keep hitting it with charged plasma until the planet turns to glass. And you essentially escape just as this absolute genocidal horror is happening, because he's just... Volley after volley after volley after volley, just destroying an entire city planet of, uh, I think they state, I think it's in the hundreds of millions is all that's left on the planet Tarsus. Um, Hundreds of millions of people just being killed because Malak got bored looking. And of course, the sickest part is you're leaving. Bastila is like getting ruined by a thousand voices suddenly crying out and being silenced. As you're also, like, dealing with the irony of, like, he's destroying this whole entire planet because he doesn't know she's escaped. Like, this tragedy is utterly senseless. And you are fully aware of how senseless it is. (sighs) But it really frames Malak as, this is a Sith. This is a dark lord. His entire goals are more important than any other concern. Human life is absolutely meaningless compared to his ambitions. Now, we should point out, we have not seen Malak up to this point in person, but we have seen him in these sort of almost like flashback visions that our main character is having. Kind of like these like delirious dream states he's in. Yeah, because when you meet Bastila, she's even talking about some of that stuff and she's like, well, you were there. Like, you were there when Revan fell. That's probably why you have this trauma. Maybe that's why you have amnesia. And she's like, I don't don't sweat it. You, you know, I was there too. It was fa- fine. And the important thing is that Revan's dead. And you're like, okay, fine. Uh but, like, you're trying to piece out, like, well, what was my part in that? I must have been important if I was on the deck of the ship when Revan died. I, did I support Bastila? I don't know. So the next thing is you fly to the nearest Jedi temple because Bastila's like, well, I need to, I need to check in. <laughs> um, so you go to Datooine where there is sort of a retreat for the Jedi. Yeah. It's, it's, again, very pastoral. Uh, and you, you meet a group of uh, three Jedi who are basically... Um, um, the council on that planet. And they're basically talking about like, well, what's going on? You said he brought all the ships. Like how many did he have? He had a couple hundred. Yeah. How, how <laughs> does he have, like we've been hearing about Siths attacking all kinds of places all over the galaxy, uh, searching for something. And how do they have all these ships? Malik disappeared into like the unknown regions, you know, two years ago or whatever. Like, how could he possibly amass this much of an army? And it's like, hmm, that's a good question, Bastila. 
We think you should investigate it. <laughs> you and your friends go figure that out for us in a very Jedi kind of way. Yeah. Um, and so you start poking around Datooine, which basically leads to a cache of ancient data, which is a star map. And what you find out is there's this ancient empire um, and they had conquered all of this space, all of the known galaxy to most of the people in Star Wars was conquered by them and they had access to insane weapons. This is the fantasy and now very sci-fi trope of there's the forerunner race, the race of super duper hyper advanced God beings that are dead for some unknown reason that made technology that all the current people are trying to seek. Cause if they find it, then they could destroy the universe. <laughs> it's a very tired trope. Yeah. It's really overexposed in 2004, at least wasn't as bad, but Malik has tapped into something called the Star Forge, and the Star Forge is creating an army for him. That's why there's so many of these ships, which are actually automated for the most part. That's why there's so many droids, is because he essentially has these machines, building machines for him for a, a war engine. So now it is your job of you need to go around to all these interesting hotspots around the galaxy and find the star map. Because once you find all the star maps, then you can kind of triangulate where the Star Forge must be. Okay? Makes sense. I'm with you. It's a video game. You yeah. need to go collect the pieces of the important MacGuffin so that we can put them together <laughs> to get to the yeah. final boss battle. Yes. Um, and so you go to places... Um, some of which had been seen in Star Wars to death. You go to Tatooine, for instance, which, again, the High Republic makes it even more confusing, like processing of like, well, the fun thing about High Re about Tatooine in Knights of the Republic that I adore is the Circa Company, which is a company that's been in the background um, of Star Wars lore. Uh, they they have all these sand crawlers because they're like we we have a prospector who told us about all this great mining opportunities just under the surface of Tatooine. So <laughs> we invested heavily. We bet big on Tatooine. We got here, and the last ten years we found diddly. <laughs> so like it's implying that the sand crawlers have been here for thousands of years. They're these extremely robust pieces of technology that were abandoned when this company made a bad bet on this prospecting planet that is worthless oh that's so funny I uh like that and the other fun thing about tattooing is when you find the star map it talks about this tropical world mm -hmm. you're like but i'm on tattooing what well, used to be tropical again because the the infinite empire which is the the rakadin group that created the star forge and is the precursor race uh yeah they they ruled the galaxy something like fifty thousand years before your plane just pushing Star Wars to be mind-bogglingly long on yeah. a timeline. Yeah, very interesting. So you do that. There's also uh, Kashyyyk, and Kashyyyk was cool because while we had seen Kashyyyk, um, we hadn't really had a... Uh, no, because as I say, Revoke Commander hadn't come out yet. We haven't really played on Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk is the thing that's in the holiday special, and everyone knows about it, but no one's done anything no with one's it. been there yeah. so you have like the tree houses and then you can also go down to like the forest floor which is very very terrifying because it's basically like a rainforest it's basically just internal night down there um and all kinds of terrible beasts you have to fight as you fight along and you get to see zalabar's family and all that kind of good stuff it's really fun um that does sound like fun i'm sad I i'm gonna have to keep playing i didn't make it to that part 
it's kind of funny because I hate to sound like a cliche here, but like, oh man, once you get the Ebon Hawk, that's when that game really opens up, you know? Like, that's when it gets fun. I mean, I believe that though, because once you can travel, you you know, you're out of the tutorial, basically. Yeah. I just hate those kinds of phrases because I'm like, if it takes me eight hours to enjoy the game, then it must not be that enjoyable of a game because a good game would hook me harder earlier. Um, but you get to see Kashyyyk, which is pretty cool. Um, and again, at the time was very novel. Uh, and then the last kind of planet in the, in the kind of front end is Manan, which is a planet that didn't exist before. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Manan is the planet where the Selkath, which are these kind of like catfish people live. Oh, okay. And the biggest thing about it is it's a completely aquatic world. Everyone lives underwater, but they have this one city that you can visit. Um, because this city is their trade, trade center. So it's a floating city that lives on top of their planet where they trade in what is, at the time, one of the most important galactic resources that only comes from this planet, which is called Colto. Hmm. And Colto is sort of like a prototype for Bacta, the the panacea medicine that cures so many things. Um, So, of course, the Republic is like, we cannot let the Sith take this, so there's a little (laughs) bit of that spat going on. Um, but the biggest thing for you is there is another piece of the star map there. And as you're going through this whole game, are the Sith showing up in pursuit of you? Yes. Okay. The thing about it is you're never really dealing with, it's like Sith garrisons and Sith occupation forces, but it's a mixture of things. Most of the planet have their own problematic people you're dealing with. That's what I was curious. So like on Tatooine, or not. you're dealing with Tusken Raiders, you're dealing with Jawas, you're dealing with bounty hunters. Um, when you're over on Kashyyyk, you're mostly dealing with these, these terrible, you know, ugly monstrosities that kill Wookiees. So if they kill Wookiees, you're, you're nothing compared yeah, to them. Yeah. Um, and like I said, once you get to Manan, it's a little more like the Sith want to take this planet. So gotcha. there's sort of more of an enemy on there. Okay, makes sense. Uh, and then that leads to sort of the mid-game turn, which is you end up on the Leviathan. You basically get a chance of like, hey, we got a chance to go and maybe take out Darth Malak. Mm-hmm. Like there's this see, there's this extra opportunity. His ship's kind of alone. If we go on the Leviathan, we might be able to finish this war. Screw the star maps. We got to go do this now. <laughs> um, so you and your crew go and uh, you fight your way through the Leviathan and then you get to Malak and Malak is just like, good to see you again. And you're like, I don't know anything about my past. What are you talking about? And uh, spoiler for a 16 year old game, 17 year old game. Yeah. And if you haven't learned this, bless you. Stop right now. Go play that game. You have a chance to have a wonderful surprise for you that has been ruined for just about everybody else. And I'm about to ruin it for we've anyone. We've also ruined it on this show before during our Revan talk. And I think we've said spoiler before. Because, yeah. like, for whatever reason, I still yeah. want to protect this one. I don't know. But Malik basically just kind of reaches into your mind. All these shadowy things that you've been holding in your head kind of unlock. Mm-hmm. Bastila goes, ah, crap. As, <laughs> as basically you suddenly realize that what happened was Revan was such a potent Jedi that they were they were disappointed he fell uh, because they found that Malak is actually like actually evil. Like he's capital S Sith. This is the kind of dude who, if given the chance, would just completely glass a planet. He's that kind of monster. Um, They want to give you a second chance. So what they do is they sort of 
use the force to lobotomize you, which sounds real dark and evil. Um, but they do. They sort of sequester all of your personal memories of your persona as Revan, lock that away and give you a new identity, which is the identity you've been playing up to now. Yes. And that is why Bastila has always been kind of cold and brusque and rude around you because she knows who you are because she was part of the project to wipe your memories. Um, And she's been horrified if this moment ever occurred that you would remember you're a Revan. Yes. And it is worth just reiterating slash pointing out here that remember, this isn't just the Jedi saying, well, we're going to try and save this Darksider. This is the Jedi saying, we're going to try and save our old companion, our old friend who became corrupted and fell to the dark side. We're going to try and bring him back. Right. So they have a history. You know, these characters have interacted uh, at least in some way. These these characters have worked together. And Revan obviously being such a prominent Jedi during his time means that people know him in the order. And people know what he's capable of. And frankly, they want his power back. I mean... To put it in context, this would be like if Mace Window kept fighting the Clone Wars after the Republic had won the Clone Wars and he went evil. And the Jedi Council was like, he was one of our best. We got to see if we can. Um, can we get him into rehab? I think we can still save him. Yes, absolutely. I think that's spot on. Um, and of course, us as an audience playing this game, we don't know what happens to Revan in the Outer Rim that causes him, you know, in, in unknown space to come back with the Sith army. But mm-hmm. we do learn later in other properties what causes that. You know, we've talked about right. this before. And, and on for our the Dark context of this game, the reason this is all going on is Revan has only been seen in a mask up to this point in all the cutscenes. You know, very yeah. Darth Vader style, like, I'm only in this armor, you never see my face. Yeah. Which is why it works that if you picked male, female, whatever whatever choices you made as your character, you could be the Revan because you're just underneath that plate armor. And that's the reveal is they remove the, the faceplate of Revan as they've kind of like drawn him to uh, surrender. And when you remove the faceplate, it's like, oh, it's you. And then your character goes, oh, it was me the whole time. And so basically... Things go sideways. The ship starts breaking down. Malak gets away. You just need to survive and get off the ship. And once you do that, there's this great cutscene where just Bastila's like, I'm sorry I didn't tell you, but like, are you okay? Do, do you feel the need to kill an entire planet? Well, no. Whew, that's a relief. <laughs> um, Because at this point, your character has probably very much kind of gone in one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. There is a morality scale of dark side and light side. Mm -hmm. You can either embrace the light side or embrace the dark side. And all of the characters around you are sort of tuned to their own ones and their own preferences. Um, And by this point you've collected uh, uh, you could have, you don't have to, but you may have collected a number of different companions at this point. So you might have Candorous Ordo, who is a Mandalorian mercenary who's a little more dark side because he's more about the best way to solve a problem is to shoot it. Um, and he's great and ornery and wondrous. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, Jolie Bindu, and Jolie Bindu is a really cool character, but I think he, uh, as, who was it? Uh, there's a number of Star Wars pundits have, have looked at him and blamed him for so much in Star Wars because Joey Vindo is a gray Jedi. He works tirelessly to balance the light and the dark inside himself. 
He is basically here to essentially be the contrarian. When you get to a moral choice when he's in your par party, it's like, well, we could give these orphans money or we uh, or we could tell them to go pound sand. And you go, well, I mean, I've got the credits. I'll just give them to him. And Joey Bindo will slide in and go like, well, but are you enfeebling them? Are you making it so that they can't find their own way? The desperation that they're having right now might lead them to actually finding it within themselves, the skill, the trade that will bring them out of poverty permanently. And you're like, I was just going to throw them 50 bucks and call it a day, but now I'm all conflicted. Or it'll be the other thing of like, look, look, it's a chaos death spiky thing that is just bleeding the dark side. We need to kill it. And Julie Bindu will slide in. It's like, like, but it's a living thing imbued with the force. It's just doing what its nature's in. Do we have the right to kill it? Like his whole thing is balance. Yeah. And it's made people, I think a lot of people like with Revan and stuff like, edgelord like no the cool guy's the anti-hero he's got the dark side and the light side i'm like the dark side and the light side would be joey bindu who's kind of bland and annoying because he doesn't have a position he doesn't believe in your definition of morality so yeah. he is constantly just questioning himself there is no answers to him and uh but like like i said gray jedi have been this thing like what if i could be a jedi but i could also throw force lightning how cool would that be and it's like that's not what this is about it's written way better than that but it has <laughs> spawned a whole bunch of like the Cade skywalkers yeah. of the world come from that uh -huh. line of thinking uh -huh. i'm a bounty hunter but i'm also a jedi knight i'm like you probably can't be both just that's probably not gonna work out for <laughs> yeah you. yeah i um, mean i understand that desire of wanting every character to have every cool trait that you find attractive uh in a character you know i understand that but the purity of a jedi versus the um scoundrel uh scoundrel nature of a bounty hunter or whatever you want to call it well, is what makes different characters interesting I, mean, I think the biggest thing is one thing about jedi is jedi are not morally ambiguous they're not yeah. that that's that's the whole thing yeah. is they're kind of yeah kinked to being the good guys yeah. so as soon as you start throwing around term like gray jedi well they're not a jedi anymore then right and, right? and, and julie bindu else. would talk in those terms of yeah. like you know i i'm beyond the paradigms of sith yeah. and jedi yeah in the new you know in the high republic in this new version now that we're getting essentially of these um historic stories we'll call them yeah. you know there's this this term jedi way seeker basically this person who goes out of their way they're still a jedi technically but yeah. they're not following the whims of the council they're out just listening to the force basically almost like an approved exile or a sabbatical well i think that's i think that's more of what it is is like you need to go explore that in your soul and it basically the trial of the cave writ large <laughs> yeah that's a really good way to put it um really really good way to put it and speaking of Definitely the dark side. One of your other characters is Juani. Juani uh, made me happy because she's a Cathar, which are cat people. The only problem was I don't think the tech was up to make f slightly furry people. Not the Cathar, like full like cat folk. But uh, well, let's just say Juani looks like she's been skinned. Uh, oh, she's no. she's she's she she looks like the Egyptian oh, like no. Sphinx cat version yeah. of the Cathar. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, but they were one of the races that were introduced in the comic because that was kind of cool. And Juani's whole thing is like you find her after she's been in the thralls of the dark side. She joined with Revan. Uh, as she threw her lot in with her. She's been doing all kinds of terrible thing under Malik, and she's sort of starting to lose like 
she's starting to get a little disillusioned and you just basically throw a crowbar in that and pry it off and basically say like, no, there's still good in you. You can come back from this. Or alternatively, you can also go like, actually, I was wrong. You should be my dark side apprentice. <laughs> like, so she's this Jedi who's struggling to come back to the light and you can either fuel that or condemn her. Um, and she's an optional character because you may not have the charisma and the right stuff to bring her back and might have to just fight her and kill her. That's very, very interesting. You know, you mentioned it a moment ago and we hadn't talked about it up to this point, but the idea of a light side versus a dark side scale that throughout the game, you get to choose. Are you going down one path versus the other? Right. As a, I don't know, 13 ish year old kid playing this game. That was the most interesting part. Sure. Out of everything you did, the ability to choose, do you want to become good or bad? Yep. Was thrilling. And frankly, I think in a Star Wars game, it still is. And I would love to have a modern interpretation of that. Well, and the delightful thing is, so once you get to Tatooine, they basically say, well, you have the force. I guess we have to train you as a Jedi. And Basil's like, we don't have to. We don't. We nope. Mm -mm." (laughs) And the council's like, well, the council's decided on this. So Basil, you'll train him. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Make the Dark Lord of the Sith have his lightsaber again. Good job, everybody. Why? It's not like he's a Darksider who's been brainwashed. I can't tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you've been trained as a Jedi. And one of the interesting things is as you go, you can customize your lightsaber. And eventually you can put a red blade in there if you want. If you keep fueling the dark side, that is the you keep making the dark side decision. Mm -hmm. Your character will start getting paler and eventually their eyes will start going yellow. Like the character model will change to reflect the fact that you are embracing darkness. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the game has different endings. Oh, based yeah. Based on light or dark side, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I haven't gotten there myself, so oh, yeah. just confirming. Uh, oh, and real quick, the last two companions, um, there is a R2-D2 stand-in, which is uh, T3-M4. Yes. And T3-M4 is just sort of like, uh, it's an astromech droid, but it's like, it's almost more dog-like because yeah. kind of most of its body is sort of in this squat tripod yeah. rather than kind of the barrel we're used to from an R2-D2. Yeah, um, you know, characters like T3 and Candorous, uh do come back in mm-hmm. other Revan adventures. So that is one of the other things I liked about this game is seeing characters who I knew from other things, uh, seeing sort of their origins here. And then uh, we cannot talk about Knights of the Republic without talking about everyone's fan favorite, HK-47. Mac, I know you have some, some feelings about this character. Uh, so HK 47 is absolutely fantastic, but I also think that HK 47 is one of those characters of like awkward to have as a light sider because (laughs) HK 47 is a droid. He has no connection to the force. He's dark side though. (laughs) Like there's no two ways about it. Um, HK 47 is fun because (laughs) Bioware, the writers at Bioware, are writers. They love to write interesting stories. And one of the things that you see in almost all of their games is there's at least one character that I like to refer to as the writing challenge character, which is <laughs> they decide to do something that is very abnormal in normal writing and build an entire character around that. Mm-hmm. So like, for mm-hmm. example, they might have a character who uh, has no gender, uh, which, you know, today seems a lot easier to write, but in like, what was that? That was Dragon Age. So that's like 2006, like way harder to write. So, but the character never talks in pronouns, doesn't understand gender, doesn't talk like completely an alien concept to him. Okay. 
or you have a character that refers to themselves in the third person at all times. Their body is something separate from themselves. Like, just these really weird but super intriguing ones. So HK-47 is that because HK-47 is, in theory, a protocol droid. Sure. And so the thing HK-47 does is he announces what part of speech he is used, like what figure or, or context of speech he's using before he says every sentence. So he might, he would start a sentence with, Greetings! I am HK-47. I am here to serve you, Master. And then it would be like, Veiled Threat! But utilize me well, or I may betray you. <laughs> like, he'll tag the beginning of all of his sentences with what his, his protocol is. is. Yeah. yeah, okay, okay, okay. Right, so, you know, it's, uh, it's things like observation. How the constant sloshing doesn't drive you mad of all your meaty, wet appendages. Because <laughs> um, HK-47, he, you find out, is a poorly disguised um hunter killer robot hence the hk his whole job is he's an assassin droid who is built in the framework of a protocol droid and he has all these quirky ways of talking first off he's a robot so life has no meaning to him at (laughs) all he so he'll he'll just be be like suggestion master would you like me to kill them (laughs) like just at all times like Totally disregard for human life. And then the other thing about it is he has these weird mannerisms of he finds organics strange. He calls you meat bags. And that's because he's constantly just observing, like, how you deal with not being a robot. Robots are so much better, and I don't know why you want to not be a robot. <laughs> like, I have servo motors. You have stringy bits in your arm. Gross. <laughs> And again, my favorite line from HK-47 is, I've already said, which is, is meatbag is, is not a term of endearment, just an observation of what you actually are. To be honest, Master, how the constant sloshing doesn't drive you mad is a wonder to me. <laughs> and he's calling you Master from the yeah. word go. And the fun thing about it is you don't have to collect HK-47. I believe he is skippable. I don't think you have to get him because I think you have to repair him and remove his restraining bolt before you can take him. Mm. Um... And HK-47, you find out, is super interesting because he's the way he is. He has this sardonic, dry, caustic wit because you encouraged him to have it because the first time he observed Meatbag, you thought it was really funny. And you told him, yeah, just just keep saying that. You're, you're a cad, HK-47. I think you're great because you find out that <laughs> HK-47 was the property of Revan. Interesting. Okay. So... He calls you master because from the word go, and this is hours before you find out you're Revan. Yeah. He's recognizing you as Revan. Yeah. But he has memory cores that are locked until after you reveal that you are Revan and you go, ah, now I remember I did own you. And you say like an access code or something. He's like, ah, yes, those memory modules will now be open, master. (laughs) Yes, I served you as assassin droid. You told me to call them meat bags because you found it amusing, I believe, master. Like... Very interesting. Okay. I like that. I like that bit of storytelling. That's it's, fun. It's very, very cool that yeah. like HK-47 is a is a part of your past before you know it. Yeah. I like that. Um, so those are the companions you're running around with. And from there, you have to complete the remaining star maps you haven't done. And for a lot of people, one of the last ones you do is Korriban. Mm-hmm. So you go to where there's a Sith Academy. And this is probably the thickest of you dealing with Dark Jedi because it's all these young acolytes that are trying mm-hmm. to learn the ways of the dark mm-hmm. side. 
And for the most part, you're sort of bluffing your way through. Okay. You don't really want them to know, hi, I'm a light sider here to end you. <laughs> that doesn't work out well, does it? Uh, no, but you're constantly having things where like the students are like, I know what you really are. I'm like, then I have to kill you. <laughs> um, and these, the, you know, these younger presses are also getting like destroyed. It's like evil Hogwarts. Like they're like, oh yeah, my one classmate opened one of the ancient Sith texts. What happened? Oh, his skin got flayed off instantly. That's bad. Yeah, well, we're all ambitious here at the Sith Academy. Ugh. And you're dealing with Sith ghosts and all this kind of stuff. And it sort of also starts alluding to the Sith Empire, which was yeah. alluded to in Tales of the Jedi that, like, Korriban is the, like, the home of the dark side. Like, the, the darkest planet in the known galaxy of the Republic, you know, space. Um, but it is the furthest outpost of this once powerful Sith Empire. Yes. Um, so this is sort of like this terrible dark side world is like the frontier yeah, of this you, bigger empire. A lot of people, you know, the, for for people in the Republic, yeah, they until very, very recently, until Revan and Malak attacked, didn't know the Sith still existed. At least not at anywhere near this capacity, right? Right. And so you're now experiencing this planet Korriban thinking, oh, this is the Sith. This is them. But really, uh, this is just their outer defenses. Yeah. And, no. it's, and it's a very, very interesting thing when you look at that in the big picture of Star Wars story. Because, you know, in our version of Star Wars, in, in modern Star Wars, and, you know, George Lucas movie Star Wars, we see the Sith take over and turn the Republic into an empire. Whereas here you have an empire that's fighting against a fully fledged Republic. Yes. So you have basically two complete entities, not one entity trying to cannibalize itself into something else. Correct. Not an underdog fighting, uh, you know, and a superior. You've got basically kind of two in their own ways, equal forces, which is something that's interesting because we don't see that in Star Wars. Typically there's almost always an underdog. And, and the thing is, like, the Sith Empire is a functional civilization. Mm -hmm. So it's not just total mustache twirling Saturday morning cartoon villainy. Yeah. Like, there's just a survival of the fittest is baked into their civilization. There are regular people who get up every day, go to their day jobs, and come home to their families. Yes, there are Sith garbage men who just pick up the garbage, yeah. just like your garbage men yeah. is. They just wear black. That's the only difference. Yeah, I mean, that is also a very fun and interesting concept. And that's further explored when we get to the Old Republic where you can go into that empire and see what's happening. In this, it's mostly just alluded to of like, this is the tip of the iceberg. There is something much more powerful than the Sith you know yes. going on. Um, and once you've collected all the star maps, you get to go to the Star Forge. And you basically take this crazy hyperspace lane that the star map is telling you to. And it goes poorly. And you <laughs> end up basically at the star forge which is where malik has tons and tons of ships so they shoot you down yeah and you crash land on this little tiny planet that's like next to the star forge and you find out oh there's this primitive people that these tribal people on here and you're trying to like kind of negotiate with them so you can fix your ships so you can get back into orbit and as you're doing that you kind of find out that oh this the rakatans these people this is the leftovers of that infinite empire that you've been chasing with these star maps they they somehow basically screwed up, locked themselves out of hyperspace, died in darkness with people spread all throughout the galaxy, and got dumb, devolved over the years into this. 
Very interesting. Okay. And then at the very end of that, basically you have what is one of, I think, the hardest moments in the entire game, which is, all right, guys, now we're going to go to the Star Forge, kill Malak, save the galaxy, right? Right. Or I'm going to go up there and kill Malak, take over all these ships, which rightfully belong to me because that usurper took all, all my power and we will rule with a Sith Empire at my fist. And at this point, when you make that <laughs> declaration of why you were going to the Star Forge, this is when all of your characters make the decisions of, are you balanced enough that no one has a problem with you? Are you tilted all the way to the dark side that people like Basila and 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 Karth don't want to work with you anymore? Have you tilted everything to the light side that people like Candorus don't want to work with you anymore? And in every single permutation, there's a part where I think... Maybe not every character. I think maybe Bastila and T3, no matter what you do, they go with you. I think. But almost all the other characters are up for, I'm not going to fight with you. It's like, no, you need to come with me. If you don't come with me, then I need to make sure you won't be a problem in the future. And you kill your party members. Wow. Wait, even if you're choosing the light side path? Well, because the thing about it is, depending on how you navigate that right. conversation, you could say, like... Let's say you're a light sider, right? And Candorus right. goes like, look, man, I'm only here for the money. I'm not here for your causes, okay? If you're not going to be building an empire that's going to give me a lot of money, uh, I'm out. And you go, okay, get out of here. Yeah. You can just say that. Or you can say like, I can't let you leave. So you get to pick. Uh, in some of the cases. Some of it. Okay. I would have to be there to remember. So yeah. Bioware has a term called quantum. Yeah. There are characters that may not be usable for sequels because they may be dead or alive, depending on what you as a player made a choice. Mm. So like, I don't know if Candorus, you can kill him because he definitely shows up in the sequel. So I'm like, yeah. I don't know if he he's also actually is a viable. main character in the Revan book, which is technically also a sequel to this. Well, just remember the Revan book also decides a lot of things that are canon that yeah. have nothing to do with, if you played it, like for instance, Revan's a dude, right? Um, you don't have your Revan doesn't have to be right. a dude in the right. game. Right. Um, like, I know Mission, Big Z, HK-47, and I believe Karth are all characters that that you can set up a situation where you have to murder them. Interesting. Um, Julie Bindo may not be because he can he can just go, well, I can understand the force is moving in mysterious ways. I'm cool with going whatever because <laughs> I don't have opinions. Yeah. He's, he's a really, really cool character. He's very Zen, very Eastern. Yeah. Um, but it, there is a certain level of life. Like, do you care about anything that's happening? Or are you just like a leaf on the wind? You're just cool to be with wh where every, anywhere. No, no, no. I believe in things. Really? No, I don't. I, I, I'm very neutral. Do whatever. <laughs> um, so he's very cool. Um, but like, like I said, he's very balanced so yeah. he can see it from both sides and doesn't really care what you think hmm, okay so anyway so you go up to the star forge you go through the final boss fortress and you eventually get to malik and malik who's got this big ring around his face because he lost his lower jaw is basically just saying like like you know i did it because i learned from you dad like basically <laughs> revan and malik came here unlocked the star forge and then revan disappeared yeah and Malik's got this just giant chip on his shoulder of like, you know, you left me to figure this all out to try and execute this plan. I know what's out there and you know what's out there. And this, our Republic isn't strong enough. We need to be a more powerful civilization. And all the sacrifices I've made are for that reason alone. 
which sets up sequels of like, <laughs> like, what is this guy so scared of? Yeah. Um, but then, like I said, as Revan, you either basically say it's like, yes, and you tried to take the glory for yourself, so I'm going to kill you and take it back. Or, no, I've learned from my mistakes, I've been rehabilitated in the light, and the path you're on is one I can't follow you on. And either way, you end up killing Malik, you destroy the Star Forge, and you, you save the galaxy. Or rule it. Or rule it. In which case, you... I think the Star Forge blows up either way, but you end up with the entire Sith fleet. So, uh, nice to have. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's that's Knights of the Republic. Is, that is the game. And like you said, depending on your choices, you have more or less options when you get to the end because if you've been playing it kind of neutral you have the most options you can kind of just say like oh, i want to do it for evil or oh, i want to do it for good because you don't really have a pull either way yeah right so like if you play your cards right and you're not playing a full dark side or you probably don't have the opportunity off anybody um you know but if you're playing a light side or you the point is you can't make everyone in your party happy at that moment you are Very limiting what characters can go with you to the final map because of the choices you made, and it shows that yeah. those characters have opinions. They have agency. They are not just your companions like, well, whatever Revan says, I'm on for it. Yeah. Like, they get to a point of like, I'm not going to go on a suicide mission with you if I don't believe in you or your mission. I love that. I love that. That is the most exciting and interesting thing to me about this game yeah. is your balance between the light and the dark side and the way they measure it and then the way people react to you. That, that, is, that in its own is a game. And 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 it and it's something that that company keeps doubling down on when they commission the next game, Knights of the Republic Two, which we'll talk about some topic some future date. Yeah, but for sure. They expanded that to not only does your party have their opinions and work with you, but that character, because of a unique connection to the Force, has a tremendous influence on those around them, and so you can start pulling people the direction you want so you could take a light sider and corrupt them down to neutral you could take a neutral person and push them towards the dark side you can pick someone from the dark side and start redeeming them like you can basically they cool. all have the the yeah. flexible slider you do and your influence on them can pull them in different directions that's very very cool very, very it's, interesting. it's it's really interesting and also say Again, not get opening of that game. And the other interesting thing I like about that game is there's a couple of characters that are quantum in the sense of like you will have the opportunity to recruit this person or that person, but you cannot get both of them in the same playthrough, um, which makes a lot of sense because again they they basically thought what you did, which is like man, this morality system and the choices of making this morality system that's the cool thing. And they're like, let's build the entire sequel more around that. Very now, I have no experience with Kotor two, so. That's very fun to hear. Yeah. And like I said, these games are a little bit stiff now to play. Um, I, I would suggest that probably if you find a streamer who knows what they're doing and you could watch like a long play and just sort of get the story bits, obviously you won't get to make the choices, which is sad, but like you can see just how clever the writing is and all yeah. the flexing around it does. If you want to play, however, both one and two are available on iOS. Um, on on pretty much any computer device. So if you've got an iPad, you've got an iPhone, you've got a Mac, a PC, mm -hmm. both these games are available for you out there because a company called Aspire has made fairly robust ports that can go in a lot of different directions. I just, I don't think they're on consoles and I think that's I just because their they licensing agreement doesn't cover consoles. Yeah. 
Um, but there's a lot you can do. I would also say if you're intrigued by just like, oh, that morality system sounds really cool. Like I, I would love to play something like that, but I don't know if I have it in my heart to play something as clunky and old as this 2004 game. If you're looking for something uh, more Star Wars-y, you can go and play The Old Republic, which has companions and some of this morality system and stuff. That is still an active running game, uh, free to start. Uh, if you are interested in this, but you want, uh, you know, much more, less RPG games, uh, coming out this, uh, as the time of recording this coming uh, summer, is Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And Mass Effect is the spiritual sequel to the KOTOR games. Yeah. It is its own sci-fi universe, but the dialogue choices, the morale system, all of that gets ported over to that. And that is a much more modern, friendly shooter version. And they're about to make a re-release that makes it even more the friendly. The first Mass Effect really feels like a fun transition between the two. It really because does. Because it's like a lot of the KOTOR tropes Oh yeah, with action with, yeah with more action and then uh, mass effect 2 just becomes a shooting until you get into like two or three hours into mass effect you're just you're kind of looking at like th this is this legally distinct star wars it's star wars with a dash of star trek yeah. and you're pretending that this isn't knights of the republic 3 with a different wrapper you had to put around it but once you get realizing just how very brilliantly thought out the mass effect universe is yeah. you start realizing like no no this is not a if, if i recognize anything of star wars in here it's because these people love star wars it's not because they're <laughs> ripping off star wars because their universe is very unique but like i said you get all the fun of like hey i i want to bend these characters to my point of view yeah. and i want to express my point of view and i want to yeah. have my opinions and options matter yeah it's, it's all about that very very cool i love what this game represents to so many fans. Sure. Even though it's not a huge touch point for my fandom. Um, I love that it got people excited about other eras of Star Wars that weren't the main era of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Because there were so many people like, uh, you know, I remember at the time episode one comes out and there's so many people like, man, this is, this is too far in the past. This is too different from the Star Wars I know. And so that's 20 years, right? So to go uh, and now be... Uh, thousands of years well, removed is very very exciting and and kevin j anderson you know basically said like the reason i made it four thousand years before the the you know the battle of yavin is because i'm like no rules no rules i can tell the star wars i want to tell and there's no shouts of canon uh you know uh i think one of the perfect examples is like we didn't know about padawans and jedi councils and that's how it would look because episode one wasn't out yet and you can see in kotor the knights of the game like they've responded to that because they're going like, well, if that's the way it is in the prequel era, then that probably is rooted in the ancient traditions of the, of the Jedi. And so you see again, this constant kind of back and forth of yeah. referencing current star Wars with these ancient organizations like the Republic and the Jedi mm -hmm. while also saying, but we can cut our own path. We can do our own thing. Like the idea of a dark sider being condemned, like that there is no path back is not as keen on these Jedi. They think Revan does have a chance to be rehabilitated. Depending on how you play, you might rehabilitate Revan, right? In canon, he's, he is quote-unquote rehabilitated. He is, yeah. Uh, boy, I, I gotta be honest with you, Mac. You've convinced me. I want to go upstairs and continue to play <laughs> my, uh, my, my playthrough of uh, Knights of the Old Republic. And then if I finish it, maybe go on to two. You know, I've never touched two. Uh, but now I'm also pretty convinced I just want to dive down into the dark side. I want to drive my Revan down it, into the dark side dirt. 
I have to admit, I don't like playing bad guys in yeah. video games. That's usually something I I, I screenshot. Yeah. But I played. I think I played the original Night Republic probably three or four times. Yeah. I uh, especially really enjoyed. There was a. This is such a quaint story, but there was a video game magazine. There was an official Xbox magazine or something that came with a demo disc. And one of the things the demo disc had had a thing that blew my mind, and it's still on my Xbox save files to this day. Was essentially a hacked save yeah. where you start at the beginning of the game. You don't get to choose your character portrait or anything. Cause it's like the end our spire first save. Yeah. But that character has max stats. So I played the entire dark side through with that guy. Cause I'm like, this is easy. Cause it's, it's essentially like a hacked save file. Yeah. But officially released, which is weird. So you could like then take that save file into the actual game. Yeah, the the That's demo cool. disc would save it onto the hard drive, yeah. and then you could load it as whatever save seventy eight or whatever. Oh, that's very on cool. your Xbox. Very very cool. Uh, and that was great because like when you want to play it that. again, you're like, I don't want to. I got to start all over again. It's like, no, this is great. Like everything's a one shot kill until I get like halfway through the game. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So that that was fun, and and like I said, I've probably been that game four or five times because yeah. when I have my Xbox, like again, I, I love Knights of the Republic. And so this is the closest I would ever get to like having some of those stories come through. And sure. May, most people are like, like opening up this stuff and it's like, Oh, it's Mandalore, the preserver. That's neat. I'm like, Oh my God, it's Mandalore, the preserver. This is so amazing. That's Ulu Caldrama's old, old hat. And look, it's, it's, it's a thing that mentions Exar Kun. This is amazing. <laughs> Whereas like, Nothing from Tales of the Jedi is particularly important to the story that's playing other than the Mandalorians and the Jedi have been fighting a lot. If you yeah. read Tales of the Jedi, you know about that. Everything <laughs> else is like the characters from Tales of the Jedi are already fading into legend living. You know, they're not they're living legends kind of yeah. like most of those characters should be biologically deceased by the time this game opens yeah. up. Yeah. You know, uh, and ugh, love it. Love it. Where's where's my HD remaster of that game? It's bound to happen. If not a remaster, a spiritual well, successor, a remake. I would it's say bound to happen. There was a fresh uh, at the time of recording. There was a fresh set of rumor of like Knights of the Republic three is is happening. Yeah. EA commissioned a different studio to work on. I'm like, this rumor has been going on since 2004, yep. about a week after yep. <laughs> Knights of the Republic released, that there's another one mm-hmm. in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, and infamously to like just make the san- fan base cry. Well, Old Republic's amazing and has tons of story. Like the way this is like, well, we didn't make a Knights of the Republic 3 because this is like Knights of the Republic 3, 4, 5, and 6 all together. Sure, it's a completely different play style that's very polarizing, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> um, so they've been people have yeah. wanted a follow up to Knights of the Republic specifically three forever I, I think at this point if they make one it'll be a new story or because yeah. it will probably if it gets greenlit it will be a canon story yeah I think it'll either retell Revan's story and change it or it'll just be a completely new thing Knights of the High Republic or whatever yeah, but I think the idea of a role-playing game where you play a Jedi yeah. who can choose their path through the light or the dark and influence interesting companions around them, that's an evergreen yeah. concept that will have to become has to come back. It's I just too good. I would be shocked though if it was turn-based. Uh, you know, um, I, I think it'll be more Jedi Fallen Order style combat. I think it will be what Mass Effect is. Mm. Mass Effect is not really turn-based, but in all the games 
except for three. You can pause to kind of command your your um, companions to mm-hmm. set up combos with your abilities. But that's just like to pause to tactically view it. You do not play in a turn base. There aren't hidden dice rolls. You are yeah. shooting the gun yeah. and the gun does damage based on the stats you've paid into, yeah. but it's static. It's yes. not, it's, it's a shooter. If you aim correctly, you hit them. How much damage you do depends on how much, that makes sense. how much your auto aim works. It depends on your stats, that but it's real time combat. Um, yeah, I just, you can even see it with uh, like the Pokemon series is even kind of, shuffling off some of its rpg stuff yes. because yeah every um, year they dumb it down even more well well i think it's just more to the point of the fact of like when you're competing against every other type of media video games have just got to a point that no one really no one uh i mean i'm gonna sound like an old man no one likes leisurely games where you stop and you think you just want the blam blam and the cut cut and the shoot shoot pew pew that's all you kids care about these days uh it does bother me because i'm not great at video games so like unless a game has a very nice narrative mode or accessibility options to like tune difficulties like i don't i stink at video games and i can only spend so much time getting better at them or care to get better at them i'm mostly here for their stories so um i'm hoping that like I said, like a Bioware or something gets it. Cause one thing I love about Bioware is Mass Effect three. When I first started up and like, yeah, no, it's just a real shooter now. I'm like, but I'm terrible at shooters. I'm like, cool. Well just try through the tutorial level. And, uh, Oh, Oh yeah. No, no, no. We need to take you down to narrative difficulty. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be asked to shoot things. You're, <laughs> oh, no. you're, you're, you, you don't like to aim down the sights? Where have you been the last like 10 years? I'm like, <laughs> I just don't like aiming down the sights. I just, I find it uncomfortable and I don't like shooting like it you're going to have a bad time with the rest of your life, kid. Like, that's what we do now. <laughs> Those are video games, that's, buddy. That's what a video game is. And I've gotten better at it. But, like, man, I stunk at that game. So, um, and and you know what? It's there. I think people understand Star Wars is huge. Uh, I got through Je- Jedi Fallen Order thanks to its accessibility controls. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would be very excited to see that. Um, but I think we've been blowing on too much. Uh, I love it. I, 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 I love hearing you talk about it. And one day we will talk about part two. Yeah, we'll get around. It's to only it. a matter of time. Once I play it. Yeah. So tune in 2025. What? Yeah, for real. Right after I get around to reading Splinter of Mind's Eye. But I think that is it for this segment. So let's go wrap this up. Let's do it. feels great to have finally covered this giant topic. This thing that's been looming over us forever. I've been playing this Knights of the Old Republic game for months preparing to be ready for this. This shows how quickly I've <laughs> and you gotten got, through it. got like a whole eight hours in. I know. Shows clearly how much I've... Ugh. Well, hey, look. it's yeah. Like I said, it's a tough game to get into because it is... It is old in a lot of different ways it's the quality a- of life has changed if like i, I said think- the speed like if you play like a final fantasy let's say you want to play final fantasy 7 the original over again when you get a modern copy of that it has the like do you want to speed this up to three times 
Like there, yeah. there's quality of life stuff that has happened in other games that KOTOR's engine might just not allow for Yeah, that. Like the game is slow. Now I don't care. Cause I was there when it happened and I don't mind that kind of methodical pace, but like yeah. it's a hard ask for people and certain things like, again, the alien languages and some of the kind of stunted animation, like the animation is not all that impressive now. Like some of that stuff just, it just doesn't hold up. Um, yeah, for me, I think it was just more frankly playing a game on my phone. Sure. I'm not good at that. I, I'm not good at sitting without a controller uh, and playing something for a long period of time. And also, frankly, KOTOR is not a game where you can play it for 10 minutes and dip out. True. Which makes it, I think, a rough mobile game. Because those are the types of mobile games I want to play. I will also say, if you're crazy like me and you have a, a Bluetooth-compatible controller, you can hook it up to your iPad That's a iPhone. very fair point. I know Macs now are compatible with PS4 controllers. Are yeah, iOS you, devices? Um, I yes. I think they are, right? Yes. Okay. All, all, I think all of Apple's stuff is now, yeah. I think. I wonder if Knights of the Old Republic, if it's on the Apple TV. I bet it's not. Oh, it seems like it should be. But it does, I right, but I bet it's not. It seems I, be, like it I bet you, be. like I said, I'm going to guess Aspire literally has the license for computers. Yeah. And the iPad is as close as you can get to consoliness without yeah. crossing that line. Yeah. Very interesting, though. Um, I think while I plan on playing more, I'll probably just be waiting for the remake or remaster. Reboot, or whatever reboot. it is. Yeah, whatever re they end up doing. That's when I'll get involved. And like I said, the irony is like, again, there was a rumor as new as like this week of of that a third party developer is hired by Electronic Arts to make the next Knights of the Republic. I'm like, yeah, but like this is a constant. That's like saying the next iPhone is going to be better than the current iPhone. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's an evergreen story. You can print that every single day, 365, and you're probably not wrong. <laughs> you're probably not going to you're probably going to get clicks. Yeah. Um. So I would love to see them return to it. Like we've already talked about with right now, the focus on the high Republic, I would be more inclined to see like a game that's like Knights of the Republic in like style and feel yes. that's like set during the high Republic oh, or something be, like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Only cause I want KOTOR really bad, yeah. but that is a much bigger strategic decision of the Lucasfilm story group yeah. to open up another era of stars yeah. while they're trying to get a new era up on the ground. Right. And I just don't think they'll be ready in two or three years or, you know, as many as five, whatever long this length of a development cycle yeah. is as they are building the in between return of the Jedi and force awakens era and the high Republic. I just don't see it in their bandwidth to really want to push too, too many spin too many plates at the same time. I think you're right, but I still wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Um, because this feels like one of those things that, oh yeah, 2014 Disney was like, what do people like? Okay, Knights of the Old Republic, let's get someone thinking about it. And, let's, and even if they don't start truly pulling strings for a few years after that. And let's also be honest, one of the strange things about the way this this has gone is because of the impression or just the interest or that Grey Jedi nonsense I talked about earlier. People love Revan. Like yeah. that character is adored, which yes. I find ironic because I'm like, you say character as if they're one person. Um, Cause I feel often the way about Revan that exhausted people feel about Boba Fett, that like <laughs> you are pouring in all this thing into a character that simply does not have the things you want out of it. Yeah. Um, mostly because to me, Revan is like, Revan is not just some white guy. Revan is the character I played during the course of the events of those games. Yeah. 
Uh, in, in my particular last playthrough, she was a, a nice uh, brown-skinned lady, um, which is about as far away from just a standard stock white space marine as you can get. <laughs> um, but, like, it's just one of those things of, like, I loved Revan's quantum state, and that's why it's always confused me that there are stories about Revan that are can't well, mm. legends yeah, canon yeah. um that were canon that was like about that character I'm like but that character isn't mm-hmm. anybody like mm-hmm. that character is a nobody on purpose so yeah. that you can embody them and I really just don't think you can tell stories before and after without sticking a flag into canon and saying yeah your playthrough was cute but that's it, it, I think it devalues the yeah. personal experience I had with the game. And that will be an interesting thing to see if they do end up with a reboot of this in some way. Will it just be, here is the character you're well, playing, so that way it fits into probably. whatever Star Wars If you do anything telling. more with Revan, I think they will be taking a canon Revan approach to it as yeah. far as... Even if even if they say, hey, we're going to remake it and actually can... Yeah, Revan could have been a woman, so now she's a woman now because we find that more interesting in Star Wars now yeah. that this great Sith leader was a woman or something, right? Like, you... I think you will find that when they do it, Revan will have a canon identity. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that matches with what Legend said or not. Uh, I, I've already said... The last thing I'll say is, like, I loved it in Night Zero Boba 2 how do you solve that? Cause there's no way you can read your old save game. Like mass effect does where it knows what you did in the last game. Just the first companion you meet. He's like, like, yeah, no Revan. She was crazy. She Revan was a he. Oh, well, you know, I heard the stories, but I don't know exactly. It's kind of crazy. They fell to the dark side. No, they were redeemed by the light. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. They were redeemed by the light, I guess. <laughs> like you basically just correct his story. And then the game assumes that that was your Revan. And we yeah. move along. <laughs> that could be fun. And that's, you know. that would be, that would be great if they started with like the, the, oh, Revan and Revan's state is decided by your initial like comments on who Revan is like Knights of Republic 2 did. That, that, would, that would, would be, be fun. fun. I would be into that. Um, boy, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? They are. And it's going to be. What's more exciting than that? Good times. Also, last piece of news. Mm. May the 4th. Yes. We will be sitting down celebrating Star Wars Day by watching the first episode of The Bad Batch. Bum, bum, bum. Can't wait. Yeah, they recently announced The Bad Batch. We'll get an episode that Wednesday and then that fall- Friday and then it'll be every Friday after mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Very excited about it. Can't wait. Um, high expectations for the show. Absolutely. So excited to finally have a release date. Uh Action figures are hitting the shelves, or I should say hitting the interwebs where you can order them <laughs> to your home. Um, so, I mean, we're in it now. Like, that's two months away. Yeah, all that talk we had last year about, like, well, Star Wars is going to get started up again soon. Like, Star Wars is back and running. The, yeah. the, the machine the is The Book of Boba on. Fett is shooting. Which is crazy, right? right? I think so. I think I read that. No, no, I think I'm you're right. I'm pretty sure it is. I think you're right. The Obi-Wan show is in heavy pre-production, if not full-on production. Yeah, like all the wheels are turning. And, yeah. And, 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 yeah, they may not be shooting, again, but it's being built. The machine is running again. Yes. They, we, we we will have Star Wars yeah. for a long time. And we'll forward. probably get news about Fallen Order 2 this year. We've obviously yep. got a bunch of books. By the time this episode comes out, uh, Victory's Price yes. will be, I the think, available. I think that's right. I think yeah. it releases. For some reason, my uh, copy is like, it says it's not going to arrive for a few weeks after. So I know the printing got screwed. Up. I, yeah, Maybe I don't it's being know printed what's going to happen. That's possible. It is possible, but I've seen a lot of people have gotten their review copies already too. 
So they're out there. So I don't know what's going to happen. So I may have to go buy a copy in a bookstore or something. I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's it's always in motion yeah. in the future. I want to like it. I hope it's good. I hope that it's Well, you said the, the Alphabet Squadron me. books are neat, but like yeah. you said, you, you're you were falling off of it by the end of the second book. So hopefully the third I, one kind of brings wanna you back. I want to like them. I think space battles and books just aren't for me personally, but I really really hope this book doesn't have one of the two stock endings that they set up at the end of the second book and it somehow surprises me. We'll see. Yeah, I know. I want to believe. I want to believe. But but here we I, are. Here we are. I want to believe. It's okay. There's plenty of more Star Wars. If this doesn't tickle your fancy That's again, the, the, the panorama Star of Star Wars. Wars is getting broader and broader, and there is a Star Wars for you somewhere yep. in there. Yep. The best part about Star Wars is there's always more coming, and I can't wait for more. And we're going to have more. Yes, Not- we are. Not even all that far away because I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And next Wednesday, we'll have more Star Wars. So join us. And until then, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.